welcome back to the New York Gun Guys podcast. My name is John. My name's Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, man. What's up? What did you bring today? You got some stuff here. I did. I did bring some stuff, and um, you got some. You got a gun. I we do got have some a gun. Bayonets. Your bayonets. I see uh, some old school ammunition looking yes. boxes. And tell me, tell me, what are we doing today? We're going to be talking about the infamous, the world famous AK forty seven. Very nice. One of my favorite firearms, and really kind of, along with the SKS, kind of what really got me into history and firearms collecting on the whole, really. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> which, uh, what, do you, what do you got? So, let's let's, well, let's jump right into it. Well, you know what? Let's I guess let's start with a little bit of what? History? Yeah. Or? I mean, for those, I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody in the planet has heard of the AK-47. Yeah. I mean, everyone's heard of I it. I mean, really, um, it's probably the most famous and recognizable firearm in the world. I know when we were talking about yeah. the M1 and we were talking about, oh, it's very recognizable. Yeah. This is the most famous firearm. People will call it Kalashnikov. Yeah. People call it AK. People will call yeah. it Kalash. It's popular um, in a lot of video games. Counter-Strike, oh, yeah. you know, things like that. Pop culture. Oh, yeah, I of mean, course. It's, it's really, it, it's widespread. I mean, right. it's probably the most produce firearm in the world i'd imagine yeah and um, it's pretty much synonymous with terrorism <laughs> <laughs> well you'd be surprised my friend you would be very surprised the mm-hmm. ak also does a lot of good in the world i'm sure it does but and i'm just saying when people hear yeah ak-47 they I think mean, what they think like oh my god yeah, yeah so i well, mean there was approximately uh, 75 to 100 million of them built and mm-hmm. that number continues to grow daily because yeah ak is still in production around the world even here in the u.s Right. Very popular in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, in the Soviet Union where it was invented, it was in service from 1949 to 1974. Mm. And um, and that's in, that's the AK-47. And then, went, and then they switched to the AK-74 with a different caliber. Right. Um, so really, I mean, just the basic of the basic information, it is known as the Avtomat Kalashnikovia, which is Kalashnikov's assault rifle, gas-operated, 762 by 39 millimeter assault rifle, developed in the Soviet Union by Mikhail Kalashnikov, just right after World War II, you know, right towards the end of World War II, basically. Um, you know, when everybody, when anybody says Kalashnikov, it also refers to a family of firearms, the AK-47, the AK-74, the AK-74SU, mm. the basic operating principles receiver type of a Kalashnikov. Mm-hmm. And there's okay. so many variants throughout the world. Yeah. I mean, it, like I said, it's probably the most, you know, infamous <laughs> gun so to kind of right. get into a boiled down history, because you know people could look it up on Wikipedia. Basically, uh, World War II brought about a, a new kind of warfare. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, Germany at the time developed the tr- the first true assault rifle, the Sturmgewehr, and um, people say Kalashnikov copied it. And Soviet advisors went to Russia and helped Mikhail Kalashnikov build this gun. That is not true. If you look at a Sturmgewehr and you look at an AK, the only thing they really have in common is a long stroke gas operating system a long stroke gas piston other than that they're two completely different guns Mm -hmm. but what mikhail kalashnikov did was he took the concept of the assault rifle basically combining this the the compactness and the small caliber level like a a, like of a submachine gun yeah and making it into an infantry rifle um really the germans and the uh the russians kind of came in from two ends and kind of met in the middle in in terms of concept the Sturmgewehr was was meant to be basically okay. We can't have a full, um, fully automatic rifle in eight millimeter. We're going to scale that down, and we're going to have it be full auto, 
and that's what the Sturmgewehr was. Basically, an eight uh, eight millimeter Kurtz short bullet in full auto, and they used that basically as like a light machine gun type role. Meanwhile, the Russians came at it at the end of World War II. They were pumping out submachine guns. That was like their their bread and butter. The PPS forty three, the Papa Shah. That's what they were using a lot, especially in Stalingrad, urban combat. So what they wanted was they they kind of viewed this more as a submachine gun turned into like infantry rifle kind mm-hmm. of. So the Germans went from full length rifle down to submachine gun, and then the Ger- and then the Russians went from submachine gun kind of just a little bit bigger into the role of an infantry rifle. Yeah. So. And then, <laughs> you know, Cold War happened after World War II, and a lot of countries kind of aligned themselves with the Soviet Union, and they're like, hey, we like the AK, and they just <laughs> made them. You know, the Soviet Union licensed production to almost every communist and Eastern Bloc country in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the story goes from there. I mean, people can look that up. I could talk yeah. hours about history and countries and whatever. Right. So the gun that I brought with me today is um, probably one of my favorite, favorite guns in my collection which i know i say that about a lot of them but this one truly is my just one of my favorites Mm -hmm. this is a chinese uh norinco mac 90 um what you would call an akm yeah um and basically the chinese really proliferated the ak around the world um a lot of times if you see in africa a lot of times it's chinese ak's they're very distinctive they have a hooded front sight Folding spike bayonet. Mm-hmm. The hooded front sight really gives it away as either a Chinese or an Albanian, but predominantly it's Chinese. Um, my gun in particular, I've had it for a long time, and um, the great thing about the Mac 90 is, especially in the New York um, scene, is that it is a compliant rifle. Um, before the Safe Act, it came with a thumbhole stock. It doesn't have a bayonet lug. It doesn't have muzzle threads. So. Before the Safe Act, it was a compliant gun, just as it was, which is great. And it also right. accepts standard capacity AK magazines, but this one has a, a little nubby magazine in it right now, a 10-rounder. Right. Right. But after the Safe Act, they came up with this... Uh, what the they pistol call? grip. Yeah, nonsense. spur grip. Yeah. It's called a spur grip. Right. So that was easy to change over, and then literally it's mm-hmm. an AK. Yeah, so this is New York State compliant. Yes, New York um, State compliant AK option. And it's just, it's like one of those things where when you look at it side by side, maybe with a non-compliant one, you can just tell that these laws are just ridiculous. You right. Know? You know, you remove the grip and suddenly it's... It's, it's less dangerous. It's less dangerous or yeah. safer. I mean... I mean, I will say it, it, as far as like, I've never held a gun with a spur grip oh, on here it. Here you go, John. Why don't yeah. you, why don't you grab I, a hold of this I will, one? Here. I will say it, it does, it doesn't feel the same. No, you do li- lose a little bit of the controllability. I mean, yeah, it's not it's not that bad. It, it's really not. You just got to get used to it, man. You're- Listen, it's not bad, and if it's the difference between you owning it and not, don't right. don't make the decision to not buy it because you need to have a spur grip on it. Right. But it really just it really gets into the whole like these laws just don't make any sense. No, they're both they're completely they, bullshit. You know. Right. So. And you know what? The thumbhole stock was a, a sporting option on these guns. Um, I also have an Egyptian Mahdi, and that one also came with a, a thumbhole grip originally, and that was fine up until the Safe Act passed, and then I had to get a spur grip for that one too. But does it make it any less dangerous? No, it's still an AK. Does it make it, you know, any less of an effective firearm? Eh. I mean... No, I mean, the, the biggest difference as far as... Um uh, the feel of holding it, I think, is that you just you just nothing to 
for your hand to right. grip to pull in. So you can't. Well, also you can't control the the, the firearm with one hand. Right. So you can't like if I'm holding this one here. Yeah. Right. I, I can barely like I can't. Yeah. I can barely. There's no leverage it. there. So. Yeah. There's no leverage. Right. So you have to really you hold have, it with you your non-dominant yeah. hand. Right. You know, magazine changes anyways done with your non-dominant. You know, with, done with your dominant hand. You hold right. the gun with your non-dominant hand. Mm-hmm. But you know, when you if you need to manipulate the gun, you know it. It, it, it does take a little bit of guess, getting yeah. used to. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Um, I'm sure it's nothing that a little practice can't solve. Exactly, exactly. Practice and training. Yeah. Um, the AK, honestly, is one of my favorite firearms in the sense that it it's spread across the world in just, I mean, every country has AKs in them. I mean, one way or another, whether they're, they're rightfully so, whether they were made there, whether they were smuggled there. You see them in conflicts all over the world. I mean... They are really an effective type firearm. The, the the Soviets when they when they adopted it, they realized we don't need a full power rifle cartridge anymore. The effective range of this is like three hundred meters. Yeah. And honestly, the full auto capability, they use they their doctrine with it was like burst firing, kind right. of like submachine guns advancing to new positions to take, you know, enemy positions. Mm-hmm. Um and really the way it kind of spread across the world is kind of a miraculous thing. And like I said, there's also variants, like you, you mentioned terrorists, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot it, of times you right. see, te- you know, it's the bad guy. Going yeah, I was about to say, it's really, it's got the, you look at it and you're just like, oh, that's the gun of the bad guys, you know? It's, well, yeah, I mean, it, that's part propaganda, but also, yeah. I mean, there's also countries like Finland that mm-hmm. adopted a version of the AK they yeah. call the Valmet, right. which was actually a derivative of the Israeli Galil. Mm-hmm. The Galil is a adaptation of the AK for the Israelis. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of countries also. South Africa has the R5, the R4. Um, there's a lot of countries that you would say are on the, quote, good guy side that mm-hmm. also use AKs. Yeah. And there's many firearms that also copy the AK's two-lug rotating bolt and long-stroke gas operating system. Yeah. I mean... It's a very simple, effective design. I mean, you could take this thing apart, and there's there's the bolt, the bolt carrier, and that's it, and t- uh, the the dust cover and the recoil spring. I mean, right. and it's field stripped. Yeah, I like that you brought that up. You want to tell me a little bit about like how how it functions, yeah. how it operates? <laughs> yeah. So um, basically, what happens is it's like any semi-automatic. Gas is tapped off the barrel, comes okay. in through the gas block, and it pushes a gas piston that's connected to the bolt carrier. Mm-hmm. So. The gas piston is connected to the bolt carrier, and that pushes the bolt carrier back. The, the two-lug rotating bolt rotates to unlock, comes back, and then the recoil spring then pushes the bolt carrier forward. Bolt strips a new round off the magazine, loads it, chambers it, and then uh, you pull the trigger and fire it. Um, and the, the amazing thing about the AK-2 is a lot of countries adopted it and produced it, but they're all a lot of them are interchangeable. Magazines are interchangeable. Um, you could use original produced AK-47 slab side magazines, heavy steel magazines, or you could use modern stamped AKM magazines, and they'll all function the same. Mm-hmm. You could get a um, a magazine for an RPK, which is a 75-round drum, put it in an AKM or an AK-47, and it'll work just fine. Right. Uh, furniture, except for a few countries, is pretty much interchangeable. Um, you know, these on here I have an original uh, Chinese wood. They call it Chu Wood, C-H-U. It's uh, it's kind of got like this orange ambery color, very distinctive. If you if you've seen enough wood to know this is Chinese, mm. um, these are even getting hard to find. The furniture for these guns, the Chinese guns, are getting really hard to find. It's getting really expensive. Um, I saw I saw a full furniture set for sale recently in a group I belong to. It was a stock, hand guards, pistol grip, and um, the spiker mechanism for the Chinese gun. It was like seven hundred fifty bucks. Jesus, yeah, because wow. they're not imported anymore yep. thanks to the Clintons and and uh, Bush Senior. Right. Um, and that's another thing, too, that the AK um, is kind of, 
The enemy of the AK is import laws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> laws, laws, laws are the enemies of firearms in general, but right. they're also the enemy of the AK-47. Oh, yeah. We used to be able to get the first AKs that were actually imported into the country was the Finnish Valmet. And at the time, it was imported in 5.56 because that was the caliber that was popular in the U.S. Mm-hmm. 7.62x39 wasn't as popular as it is today. There were some that were imported in 7.62x39, but it was really kind of like a, an oddball thing. Then what happened was the next Im- the next big import that came into the U.S. was the Egyptian Mahdi in the um, early 80s. And that was like a true Kalashnikov. Um, that one, the Egyptians basically were set up by the Russians, and they basically produced a copy of the Russian AKM. Mm-hmm. So that's like when everybody thinks of a, of a Russian AK at the time, the Egyptian Mahdi filled that role. Yeah. And that's what was imported. And then after that, the Chinese were like, well, we got a crap load of these. Let's flood the U.S. market with them. Mm-hmm. And then they started bringing them in and all different kinds and, you know, calibers. At first it was 5.56 and it was 7.62 by 39. Different configurations, Bakelite stocks versus wood stocks, folding stocks. And um, actually, John, I brought here a couple of bayonets um, that were for Chinese-specific uh, AK-47s, uh, AKMs, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And there's a variety of different bayonets that even came with them. Some are red, some are black, some have like a greenish, they call it the uh, Clayco green uh, color. Some have a brass pin in the handle, some don't. And that's one thing also that like AK collectors get all nuts about is the different varieties and the different countries, yeah. the different um, everything. Right. It, it really does get into just the minutia. The mm-hmm. it, you can never you can never end up with a complete complete collection of Kalashnikovs or yeah. accessories, right? Magazines, even. Yeah, I mean, so many countries produce magazines as well. But yeah. I'm I'm gonna stop geeking out about the history a little bit. <laughs> well, the uh, the AK has quite the reputation of being super 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 reliable. It is. Um, maybe you could touch on that a little bit. Why is this? Why is this gun so reliable? I mean, we you could look up videos of people throwing them into mud, breaking right. them up, racking them, pop pop pop. They don't stop. You right. Know? If you think about the time at which this was designed mm-hmm. in the late '40s. There was still, you know, it was right after World War II, right at the end of World War II. Machining tolerances at that time weren't, I mean, you could make things tight, hand fit them, but for mm-hmm. the, for general mass production, machine tolerances weren't as tight or as controlled as they are today. I mean, some could argue, yeah, you can make things fit perfectly, but designing a firearm is always a trade-off of reliability and the tightness of machining tolerances. Mm-hmm. The AK was left with... T- uh, looser tolerances. I mean, you know, sometimes if you, you know, you pick up an AK, sometimes the handguard yeah. rattles or the, you know, it sometimes it doesn't feel like super tight, but that's an important factor in it. It allows dirt, mud to egress out of the action. It allows mm-hmm. the firearm to operate under, you know, carbon fouling. Um, the lack of a lot of moving parts is another reason why it's so reliable. Really, the only thing that could stop an AK is if something gets behind the bolt carrier through the right. dust cover and mm-hmm. jams it up so the bolt can't reciprocate. Right. If the barrel, I mean, you, you could look up uh, meltdown videos on YouTube, like Iraq Vet 8888 does a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Really, the one thing that kills an AK is when the barrel gets so hot that it droops mm-hmm. and the gas yeah. piston can't meet up with the gas block. So yeah. if it doesn't meet up, it can't get pushed back to right. cycle. Right. And then they bang the barrel on a table after, you know, and then it realigns itself and you keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... You know, if you, yeah. when you think about things right. like that, things are connected. So there's a direct connection between the bolt carrier and the gas that's coming out of the barrel. Like on an AR, for example, it's a gas. Well, they say it's gas impingement. It that you know people can get into the minutia of that argument, but gas is what pushes 
the um, the bolt carrier back through a tube. So really, if that tube fails, there's nothing connecting the action operating it to the gas. This has a direct connection via the piston that's in the front by the gas block. Um, also, another thing that really keeps the AK reliable is the trigger mechanism. It's very simple. It has a really strong hammer spring. That hammer fires with a lot, you know, the hammer swings forward with a lot of force, detonates uh, primers, hard military type primers. And honestly, it's just a very simple gun. Like if I were to take it apart, it is unloaded by the way, just in case we, I mean, you know, we were racking and everything. Dust cover comes off, recoil spring comes out, Bolt, bolt carrier out. come out, and that's it. And it's field stripped. You have access to the barrel. You have access to the gas tube. I could take off the gas tube, mm-hmm. and um, you know, but I don't need to. You don't want to take out the trigger. You don't, you know. So I mean, literally, you could see everything in here, and then the bolt and bolt carrier. That you know, the bolt spins out of the bolt carrier, and that's yeah. it. Right. This is it. You know. And the beauty about the AK is that a lot of these parts are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So if you have another AK, you could just drop the bolt in. I mean, obviously, like. Things like headspace come to issue, but in like a combat situation, right? It's th- these are the only two parts that op that move in the gun. Aside right. from the hammer, these are the only two parts. Right. You don't even need the dust cover to function. No, right? you don't need the so. dust cover to function, and that's just to keep shit from getting in it. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things, you know, because you see you see all over the place how you know this gun is. People do like a head to head, yeah, toe to toe, and it seems like this gun is the more reliable option and it kind of it kind of makes you think like if if this is so reliable and whatnot why are we making things with tolerances in such a i guess what is it like a a, a lower tolerance a tighter a tolerance, tolerance tighter, tighter tighter tolerance right. where it tends to not function as well when we could loosen that up a little bit and have a gun that's like ultra reliable well we can and that's the thing i mean modern production allows us to tighten up tolerances right. and have that reliability still kind of there. But, you know, remember, this is a design from the 40s. Yeah. I mean, this is something, you know, it uses rivets, you yeah. know, to, to bind, right. to, to right. Right. you know, bring things together, right. the, the receiver to the trunnion. And yeah. So, I mean, this gun, it's not like something that's, that's like screwed in or it, it mm-hmm. doesn't have pins that hold it together. Mm-hmm. Um, an AR barrel is held on with a nut that's torqued right. down. This is pressed in. With, you need a, like a hydraulic press to press this in. Right. And then the, pe- the barrel is pinned through. So this barrel isn't coming out. Like right. you have to remove the pin and then press it out. That's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but remember, like I said earlier, this gun was designed in mind like a like a submachine gun. Kalashnikov originally developed a submachine gun and then turned it into this. I'm boiling down the history here. Yeah. But, um, so if you think about it, if you if you think about let's just say like open bolt submachine gun, mm-hmm. it's literally just a bolt like a, a mass that moves back and forth and loads right. rounds and fires it. Mm-hmm. Very simple, very effective. I mean, like I said, the PPS forty three and the Papa Shaw, that's what the Soviets were really using at the end of World War II. Um, so this gun is super simple, and it was meant at the time also for Russian peasant infantry. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it. <laughs> There wasn't a lot for a peasant infantryman back then. Yeah. They were just, all right, you shoot gun. That's what you do. <laughs> you know, you were working on a farm, your family owned a farm. Well, now I'm going to give you an assault rifle. It's right. like, it has to be kind of fucking idiot proof if you ask me. So you just mentioned uh, Kalishnikov. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about him. What's, uh, do you know, you know any history on him? Um, Yeah, just from the top of my head. I mean, you could, you could look like, this how did up. He, how did he come into well, creating Well, basically he... He was, if I remember correctly, he was a uh, he was in a tank. He was like a tank operator. He was in like a tank corps. Mm-hmm. He got injured again, and I don't know how much of this is Soviet propaganda because I mean it kind of yeah. But he yeah. was you know in the tank corps. He got injured, and he was basically out of battle. And he 
after he kind of recovered, he went to technical college, mm-hmm. and he was originally like designing like farm equipment, and then they needed a gun for you know the, the motherland, so to speak, and he started designing, and he really came at it from a different perspective. He wasn't a gun designer; he came at it from a practical, you know, design standpoint. And like I said, I mean, I think really, if you want to get into it, the the, the Sturmgewehr, like I said, the only thing that they have really in common is a long stroke gas operator, like the basically how the piston is connected to the bulk carrier. That's it. That's really the only thing that's in yeah, common. Right. If you look at a Sturmgewehr and an AR, for example, they both they they look very similar. They they have a pin, the trigger group hinges down, very similar. This is not. This is like I said, a more traditional kind of submachine gun esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, he he had a couple of designs at first, and at first one wasn't successful. He wasn't in imme- This wasn't an immediate thing. He had to go through a lot of iterations and yeah. compete in trials, and right. eventually the first one, the type it was. It was the uh, you know the AK forty seven because that's the year it was made, but it really mm-hmm. wasn't perfected until forty nine. Okay, and there was a few different versions of it that were made. The first one had a stamped uh, sheet metal receiver that wasn't really um, how do I put it? It didn't they they it was good in a prototype form, good in hand fit form, but when they tried to mass produce it, they couldn't get the stamp t- stamping technology right. So then, this is when kind of the Germans actually gave them some technical you know advisory. Uh, roles and basically giving them because they were making all stamped guns so they got their stampings right but it, it still wasn't good so they went with a milled receiver design so this piece right here the receiver they just milled it out of one piece of yeah, metal right and then after i think it was in like the early 50s that's when they made the akm the ak modernized and this is what this is uh copied after this chinese ak mm-hmm. it's copied after and they also made a milled gun too and <laughs> like i said it gets into what country made what when and what variant right. and how they adopted it differently. Um, so what what year is this? Is this AK? This one is probably made in the eighties, okay. uh, early nineties, late eighties. Okay, cool. and they had to neuter it for import, so they shaved off the bayonet lug. Right, they removed the threads on the muzzle. And uh, this gun wasn't a spiker gun. You could tell because the lower handguard here doesn't what have a cutout. What's a spiker? So basically, the Chinese AKs have a really distinct underfolding spike bayonet like their SKSs. Yes. So that's basically what it is. So okay. they also made them with and without the spiked uh, bayonet variety. Mm-hmm. So this one wasn't... Because there's uh, no cut there. Right. There right. wasn't a cut here. So this one accepts the bayonet. Well, it would have if it was... Used you know, to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are it's, pre-band it's versions. balls cut Yeah. Off. <laughs> there are pre-band versions, and they're very collectible right. in the market today, the Chinese ones. Yeah. So this is why I have these bayonets, because these are the bayonets that would have came with this. Right. Um, originally, if it was an unneutered gun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in my opinion, for, you know, practical applications, this is fine. Is something like this expensive right now for someone? I mean, let's let's assume there was no pandemic pricing. Pandemic pricing, yeah. no. I mean, yes and no, because you can get it. Because the AK, like older AKs, older imports. Like, how much did you buy it for? Um, I if bought you, this. If you remember, yeah, no, I bought this years ago. Uh, I paid six fifty for it. Okay. It had the original uh, styrofoam box with the original mm-hmm. accessories, magazines, gotcha. cleaning rod, instruction manual. So this was a right. more like complete gun. Back before all this pandemic, you could get a Mac ninety for like six hundred, seven hundred bucks. Um, now a word about AKs in New York. This is kind of what is disheartening to me. Yeah. Because a lot of times the AKs that we have now due to import regulations and restrictions that are domestically made, the AKs that are domestically made are not, they're getting better, but they're not made as well as the imported foreign ones. Yeah. And that's just simply because, 
you know, from a price standpoint, they're using cheap communist labor to make them. So you can get, you used to be able to get them at an affordable price, and it was an actual military made gun. Like the Chinese guns, they were made like the SKSs when we talked about in that episode. Mm. They were made in the same factories along the same lines as the military yeah, ones. Right, right. So new made AKs in the US, they really had to. Um, engineer them in a way where they could make them at a, an affordable price to compete with the existing AKs in the country and imports. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I think the best option for an AK nowadays coming into the U.S. is the Serbian, Zastava guns. Uh, they really stepped up their game. Chrome line, they now coming with chrome line barrels, and there are New York compliant options with a fixed bag, or you could get it without it and have a spur grip and you know yada right. yada. Um, when you when you're looking at an AK, like, let's just say you go to the gun store and you want to buy an AK. Honestly, the things I tell people is, what do you want to do with the AK? Because in my in my opinion, if you take a beautiful Chinese, uh, an original import gun like this and put tactical stocks on it, you, it just bubbed it. It just b- breaks my heart. Yeah. Decide if you want a more modern AK or if you want something more classic. If you want something more modern, you know, maybe I would suggest going with a newer made gun, a newer import. Um, if you can find one in New York, I know, like I said, the Yugoslavians are being imported and made compliant. Riley Defense is another one that... It's a U.S. made gun, and sometimes they were made on parts kits, and other times they were made with new manufactured parts. I've heard okay things about them. Uh, Palmetto State Armory has uh, AKs that they're making now that I hear pretty good things about. But, you know, it's kind of spotty in New York because basically a, a, a gun shop or a gunsmith has to take it, you know, either fix, you know, put a fixed magazine in it or cut the, the, you know, mill the threads off, put a compliant grip on it. So no matter what, somebody's got to do work to, to an AK to make it compliant in New York. And uh, that's the sad thing. Right. So going back to uh, Kalishnikov a little bit, this this just dawned on me. I heard, um, I don't know if I read it or whatnot or saw a video or something. I I heard that he, like, regretted making the AK. He didn't didn't regret making it. Yeah, he didn't regret making it. He regrets what, because he made a gun for his country. Right. And that's what he's proud of. But he regrets kind of what people do with it. Yeah, that's more what it is. I mean, the proliferation of the AK around the world in the hands of people that might, you know, not want to do the best with it is is a very real right, thing. Right. Um, you know, you can't you can't hate the object. You can only hate what people do with it. Right. Um, like I said, there's many countries that use the AK that are, let's just say, good countries. I mean, yeah. And really, it gets down to global conflicts, supplying mm. of arms to places that maybe there shouldn't be, like in Africa especially, right. um, you know, in Central and South America, like we talked about with uh, some of my North Korean stuff, um, right. you right. know, North Korea armed, Cuba and Panama fighting against the U.S. And um, it's just, so yeah, he, he just really didn't like what people did with his invention, but he was still very proud of his invention. Yeah, so he was proud of it, but he didn't exactly, I guess, like what, came out of it right so to speak all right i mean it makes sense right now um comparing let's just say the ak to the sks because we we spoke about the sks and and my love of it and how it's probably a great new york gun you you were looking something up online and you were talking about how somebody wrote an article saying the ak is not the best gun for so i saw an article um it was like the ak is a terrible shit hits the fan firearm you know, this is not the type of firearm you want when the world is ending, essentially. I, Which I, I, I don't know. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Um, for, one, for one reason only, it's that its proliferation around the world makes it right. one of the most readily available firearms in the world. Yeah. Uh, the caliber is one of the most readily available calibers in the world because of that. Right. The only downside to the AK is its magazine. 
Mm. If you don't have a magazine in the gun, you can't use the gun. Right, and that's okay. the problem with any gun that accepts a detachable magazine. That's why the SKS a lot of times is a preferred gun to guerrilla fighters in some areas. Yeah. Um, if they can't get AKs, um, because it has its internal magazine, you just have to load rounds into it. You don't have to carry, you know, this this magazine here is very light compared yeah. to a 30 rounder. Oh, I just handed John. It says it's light, but it's actually pretty heavy. Well, it is. It's made of stamped metal. It's, yeah. it's steel. I mean, I mean, I'm used to like Glock mags. Yeah. So, so anything that, is going to be heavier than that. You know, that, picture but. like, um, I think a 30 rounder probably weighs about, you yeah. know, like twice or. You know, a little oh, it bit probably weighs more than that, especially with it ammo does. In it. Yeah, it does, and you know, you more. can you can wear them on your chest, yeah. and you can keep them in right. pouches. But this is the only downside to having an AK is magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, is this a single stack mag? No, it's a double stack magazine. Okay. and that's another thing too. Speaking of New York compliant AKs, sometimes they come in single stack yeah, form. Yeah, right. I have a, a Yugo AK that takes single stack forms. It was imported that right. way. Because uh, that gets it around the sporting purpose clause if it has a single stack magazine. And those magazines are not interchangeable? Correct. Okay. Those magazines I can't use in this. Right. And that's another thing, too. Honestly, if I were to tell people to get an AK, I would say, look, get obviously in New York, you, we can only take what we can get, but get one that accepts double, double stack, stack magazines. Yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure there's just a lot more double stack magazines yes. out there. Yes. They're the standard um, right. you know, size of an AK, the double stack. Um, you could convert a single stack to a double stack. It's not hard. You just have to dremel out the receiver. And that's actually mm-hmm. how a lot of them are brought in in single stack form, like the Romanian Wasser. They fix them. They fix them, yeah. Right. So they could accept double stack because that just gets around U.S. import laws, yeah. Yeah. Um, which are fucking stupid. Yeah, you know, you used not. to be able to get a gun cut in half and have the front half complete and the back half complete and then reassemble it, you know, as a semi auto sporter. But now they have to cut the barrels. They have to, and it just, it just breaks my heart. Well, man. yeah, they caught on. Well, no, it's not that they caught on. It's just that the government, because the government deemed the barrel to be a military-grade part. No, it's a fucking barrel. So before, I think it was in the early 2000s, you were able to, like, let's just say this was a machine gun overseas, and then a company demilled them, mm-hmm. and then brought them in as parts kits to rebuild it to semi-auto AKs. Sure. You used to be able to just cut the gun, cut the receiver, leave the front half complete, get, and then rebuild it here in the U.S. Right. Now... You have to cut the barrel, and that honestly, the barrel pressing the barrel into the trunnion, getting that right, is the hardest part of building an AK aside from the rivets. Yeah, um, that's why people build AKs in the U.S. and hobbyists do it all the time on parts kits. But that's the number one thing that's really hard to do. You need to press, you need all the shit. So before they started cutting the barrels, it used to be a lot easier because the barrel was already headspace to the trunnion. It was already there from the, from the military factory. All you had to do is rivet it to the receiver, make sure everything was straight, and it was a lot more easy to do. Yeah. Um, now barrels, I mean, they make barrels here in the U S and they're good and, but it's not the same as a, as a true military made AK. And that's really what people want when they want an AK. They want that ruggedness. They want the reliability. They want the cold hammer forged chrome line steel from, you know, whatever war torn country. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, cause it's just better than what we can get here because they, like I said, they use communist labor in a lot of places. And yeah, price price point's not a factor. Right. Remember, AKs used to be cheap because somebody else already paid for them and an importer was just importing them, buying right. off surplus and right. cutting them up. Now, we actually have to make them. And it's like, well, right. how do we compete with these cheap prices? That's why <laughs> right, AKs right. now are almost $1,000. Oh, my God. It's and when you think about it, this is a very hard gun to build. Everything has to be, the rivets have to be done properly. Everything right. has to be straight. The barrel has to be pressed in right. There's a lot of things that's it's very old school. It's not just like right. bolt on and screw in. Yeah, everything it's not has pins to be, and right. Everything has right. to be straight pressed, and there's a lot of things that yeah. can go wrong when building an AK. Believe it or not, 
People think that any you know guy in a cave half the world away can build an AK, <laughs> which they do. But I just how, like got this image of like a dude with like two rocks, like hammering yeah. shit together. But well, that's what people think. <laughs> that's that's what like a lot of people think AKs are. I made don't, of. man. I think like crazy communist like factories. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, they do some crazy stuff yeah. in the Hyber Pass in the Middle East and stuff. But um, you know. People, there's a lot more to an AK than meets the eye. If yeah. you really feel one and you really hold one and you really see how it's constructed, right? This thing is never coming apart, right? Like unless I actually make it come apart or it yeah. blows up. Yeah. Um, this thing will not stop working until something, like I said, it, it catastrophic happens. Um. Oh, so getting back to what I was saying about comparing it to the SKS, because I, I get off on these tangents, John. I just really like. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I know. I just really geek out over this shit, man. I know sometimes, like. People like are just like Taylor. You just know the most obscure shit about some revolt that happened in the '40s, but you can't tell me like what happened last week. I'm like, listen, dude. Like life now sometimes isn't isn't as interesting as it used to be. Mm. Um, <laughs> so New York legal option A case. Like I said, I think the best one you could get right now is the Sestava Serbian made ones. Now they're coming in with chrome line barrels. They're yeah. a foreign made, factory made AK. Um, the next one that I would recommend is if you could find a compliant. Um, that's for a brand new one, you know, warranty and everything. If you want to go used one, I think the best option is a is a Norinco Mac ninety or an Egyptian Mahdi if you could find it. Those are getting very up there in price and they're very collectible. Um, and then after that, I mean, you have your U.S. made stuff. You know, on the on, I'm just talking about the New York market. A yep. lot of other places you can get whatever AKs you want. It's not a problem. Yeah. But in the New York market, you're going to see a lot of Riley Defense. You're going to see maybe some Palmetto State. You're going to see uh, Romanians, uh, Wasser 10s. That would probably be number three underneath the um, the used Mac 90s of the Egyptians. The Romanians have been a staple of the AK import industry for years. Um, they used to be kind of eh, but now they've gotten a lot better because they have to compete with other imports. Um, and yeah, and then after that is your U.S. made stuff. Tell me... Um when people are looking for AKs, like what are they looking for for something to be New York legal in case they don't right. know? So like any semi-automatic firearm that like, has let's the say, ability. I'm sorry, let, like let's say they're like looking online. Okay. You know, and they're like, oh, let me go buy this. And then, oh, fuck, it's not right. New York state legal. So like right. what what are we looking for? You know, if I went on, I don't know too much, let's say, and, and I'm scrolling through. Right. What am I looking for? There's two ways you could do this. The first way is just to buy it compliant outright. So. Some places advertise New York legal or California legal. Um, so New York legal, like any firearm that has the ability to accept a detachable magazine, can't have the following features. Can't have a pistol grip, can't have a folding stock or an adjustable stock, can't have a bayonet lug, can't have threaded muzzles. So right. that's pretty much what the AK covers. It can't have a, it has to have a fixed stock. It has to, it can't have a pistol grip. So like I said, a spur grip is an option, which, you know, I went with. Um, they also make like these weird kind of not thumbhole stocks because it has a cut in it, and it's it's just kind of weird. I don't like the yeah. way it looks. Okay, it might function a little better, but uh, like I said, I'm I'm kind of a purist with some shit. This this wood, you know, it really needs to be there in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it can't have a bayonet lug. So underneath the gas block on most AKs, there's a bayonet lug. Can't have that, and then the muzzle it can't be threaded. So that's pretty much what makes an AK compliant. Now option two is. Some places that I, I've spoken to will make an AK compliant. Let's just say you buy a new Zestava Serbian-made AK, and it comes with a threaded muzzle and a pistol grip. Um, some places, what they do is they put in a fixed magazine. So mm. basically how they do that is through the top, there's like a bracket that goes in, and it screws in, and then the magazine is fixed, and it has like a loading window on the bottom of the mag. It looks like a 30-round mag, but it's really a 10-rounder. 
and it has a oh. like a loading window. It's actually not terrible, but my problem is loading something finicky like that under under stress or pressure. Like you, well, like when we were talking about with Lisa, yeah, we, we talked about yeah. it. And a fixed mag for a fixed mag for going to the range and fucking around is one thing, right? A fixed mag for actual defense for, for actual combat. Let's yeah. call it. I mean, I don't know. In a how, gun that's not designed to have yeah, it originally. I mean, I don't know how often you're going to be in combat with your Never. AK. But um, <laughs> well, depending. Let's see what know, happens after the election. Let's see. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> but let let let's say for some reason you have this and something happens. Right. You know, in the, in the very unlikely event that the United States collapses and uh, we're in all out war, um, you definitely don't want. Uh, you definitely don't want to fix Matt. Yeah, you don't. In be, my opinion, you don't want to be like fucking with it. You don't want to be fagging, yeah. and you know, right? Um, but now, like I said, so you can you could buy one, and some gunsmiths will charge a fee to install that and make it compliant yeah. for you. So you so could what, have. Tell me about the the loading window. On that. Yeah, so um, I've only seen one in person like once or twice. Uh, somebody I knew bought a. Uh, this is how I know this. Somebody bought recently a uh, Zastava uh, AK and showed it to me, and he was showing me the uh, the magazine. Basically, at the bottom of the mag. Uh, kind of like on an AR mag that that it's a similar way to where there's like a, you push down like a lever and it exposes it compresses the spring and it opens up like a window that you could put the rounds like you, you put the rounds in and then when you release the lever it pushes the rounds up it tensions the uh, it releases tension on the spring and it pushes the rounds up yeah so it's kind of a workaround because otherwise you can't load an AK from the top without disassembling it like, yeah you, I was gonna you ask fucking if you can't had do a that. fixed if you had a fixed mag on it how do you load it but right so that magazine gets around so that. they now, had to like invent something extra for it that's yeah. like a pain in the so ass now man. what you could do is if you really okay so let's just say you do that you pay a gunsmith to put that mag in to get the gun. Now what you could do is, okay, you could remove the pistol grip yourself, remove the, the threads on the muzzle, and then remove that and have a removable mag. You could do that yeah. yourself. Just to get the gun into the state, into your hands, you just have to have it to have a fixed mag or to be neutered you know, originally from the, the manufacturer or importer right. or whatever else. Um, and that's the only thing, like I said, that really in New York specific, that's the only downside to an AK is that you know, a lot of times when you compare it to like an SKS because they shoot the same round, in New York, sometimes the the SKS kind of wins out in a lot of ways because mm -hmm. it has that fixed mag. You can yeah. load it from the top. You don't have to worry about carrying magazines. Um, but the AK is shorter, more compact package. Um, it, some would say it's more reliable than an SKS. I, I don't really believe that to be true. Um, they're just, uh, you know, the SKS was adopted literally right before the AK was adopted. SKS was adopted in 45 this was adopted in 47. Right. So, and again, I, I think I mentioned this on the SKS episode. This was designed to be really like a submachine gun, and yep. the and the SKS was designed to be more of an infantry rifle. And mm. then they realized, wow, this fucking AK is great. Fuck the SKS. And by yeah. the early 50s, that shit was out of there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but other countries still kept it around and stuff. Tell me about some different variations of the AK because I know you can get them. You can get an AK platform as like a shotgun. Yeah, you can get yeah. them shooting seven six two by fifty four rimmed. Yes, which so, I would love one. I can't. You can't find them. Sega makes them or Sega. Uh, well, okay. So the the Kalashnikov family is very big. Yeah, it, you can. They made AKs in a lot of different calibers, man. Uh, two two three five five six seven yeah. six two by thirty nine. Uh, Saiga and Russia made them for the sporting world in three oh eight six five seven six two by fifty four rimmed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some guy now is working on a fifty BMG AK. I don't know how that's going recently, but whatever. <laughs> um, 
It's really just the receiver and action. So the yeah. Saiga 12, for example, right. I, I'm kicking myself for not buying one years ago, but then the Safe Act made them illegal anyway. So, yeah. you know, what, what you know, what would I do with it? Have to register it? Well, you could sell it to me and... <laughs> as, um, as an LEO. I, can... <laughs> I know. It's just bullshit, man. No, I know. It's so, ridiculous. So um, the Saiga 12, for example, is a, is a 12-gauge shotgun that is a Kalashnikov type action. Right. It's a very fast cycling action. It's very reliable. And um, it lends itself very well. A lot of people use them in competition because um, mm-hmm. the, their cyclic rate, the, they could accept high capacity magazines, and they're really good for like three gun type, you know, events. Um, other calibers, like we were talking about, uh, the seven sixty by fifty four rim. There's a few Kalashnikov variants that shoot that. One is the the Saiga um, that shoots that. The other is the Romanian PSL that shoots that. It's basically an overgrown AK. The Romanians developed that kind of as a DMR to designate marksman's rifle. And they developed that as kind of um, a step up from the AK for longer ranges, but they wanted it to be familiar to soldiers. People confuse that with the Dragunov, the Russian Dragunov, which it is not. The Dragunov is actually, if I were to try and describe it, it's more like an SKS-AK hybrid. It's mm-hmm. not, an, like the the PSL is not a Dragunov. Two different guns. Yeah. Even though technically they imported it as a, the name of the gun they gave under import was Dragunov, it's not. They just look similar but they're really not the magazines aren't interchangeable the only thing that they have really in common is the caliber that they shoot um so you could still find uh saigas the saiga oh shit i completely forgot about the saiga fuck <laughs> there's so many aks in the world i can't keep track of them yeah uh the saiga is also a really great new york legal option because it's literally just an ak with a hunting stock on it yeah i can't believe i forgot about that John. Mm-hmm. wow okay what is wrong with you? i you know my i'm just so i, I just get like i said i just geek out over this shit um, before Obama, thanks Obama, banned the importation of Saigas due to uh, economic sanctions on Kalashnikov, um, they used to be a really cheap and available AK, and people were converting them back to their original true military form of AK. They would have to move the trigger group and do some work, but you can do it. And it was an actual Russian AK that was imported into the U.S. And in New York, they were a great option. It was just basically, like I said, an AK with a with a hunting stock on it, with just a regular traditional p- plastic stock. It accepted, you know, regular high cap mags. And at the time before the Safe Act, you can get pre ban AK mags. And it was great. But those days are long gone. Yeah, but I mean, that um, it's still legal. No. Right? Well, wait, what is? The uh, Sega AK? Yeah, yeah the Sega is still right. legal. You just have to, you know, put the, uh, the low cap dingus mags in them, like I have here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but that was I mean, a you great can still option. run detachable mags. It just yes. has to be the 10 rounders. Yes. And, so there's, you know, and people really, I mean, they were probably the best AKs at the mm-hmm. time on the New York market, pre Safe Act, pre import ban. They were very competitively priced with the Romanian Wasser tens, and honestly, I'm still kicking myself for not buying a Sega. A uh, coworker of mine has one, and I'm very jealous of it. <laughs> now, there's no way if you wanted to to put, um, like the like a hunting stock on. Like your AK, for example. I could, but what, what would be but, the I mean, could you point? get your hand up? Can I mean, would it would would it be comfortable? I'm I not saying Thor's, I think Thor's I'm not saying you would one. want to because of the well, the historic is, value and the collector. So, so the what problem is the trigger. Right. Where this trigger? So on a Sega, if I'm, I'm I'll show if you look here, the Sega the trigger group is back here, closer to the stock. That's the way it was designed as a sporting gun. Right. So 
when when the Segas were imported, the the trigger group was back here to be right. closer to the, the right. Because I'm I'm looking at it right. and I'm saying like even if there was a stock a hunting stock, the trigger right. would be so far away. Right. And then when people took the Segas and converted them back to their true AK glory, right. you had to relocate the trigger group gotcha. up to okay. the front. Cool. Um, oh, wow, I can't believe I forgot about them. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many AKs in the world, John. So yeah. many. Right. Um, and you know it. We just get kind of fucked over. Like I said, the biggest the biggest enemy of AKs in America is import laws. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> import restrictions and import laws. Um, a lot of the parts are very hard to make because they have to be made out of very hard steel. They have to be forged instead of cast. They could break, and you know, for a while, U.S. import U.S. manufacturers just couldn't get it right. Um, right. And then they finally started to, and now the AK is one of the more popular platforms in the U.S. because of the availability of ammunition cheaply yeah. from Russia, mm-hmm. which. If they ever sanction Russia again, the ammunition be the first thing to go, and then we're out of ammo because nobody really here makes it. I mean, people like Winchester makes some, but it's it's expensive in its brass case. Yeah, you know. And then the import surplus import of ammo is drying up. Now, speaking of ammo, I happen to have some original uh, Norinco China Sports ammo here. What um, year was this ammunition manufactured? Um, mm-hmm. probably in the nineties. Um, well, the ammo itself might have been manufactured a long time ago. Let me see if I can look at the head stamp here. Uh, this is 1992. This ammo that I have here, this loose ammo, is 92. Um, so, but the cool thing that the the Chinese uh, 762 by 39 is really instantly recognizable because it's copper washed. It has uh, it looks copper. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah. And a lot of people say this is armor piercing. It's not. This armor. is really steel case ammo. Um, I believe yeah, it's like a mild steel. Um, I believe and it's a mild it's, steel case. Then it's uh, co- it's I guess coated in yeah, washed yeah. in copper. Right. Um, people say this is armor penetrating. Um. It's like uh, it's like the 62 grain uh, SS109 556 ammo. It has a mild steel core to it, so it. Uh, some people say it's armor penetrating. I, I don't think it's armor penetrating. It's just well, I guess it depends on what type of armor you're right. It has about. a mild it's steel gonna core. It's going to go through. It's going to go through. Yeah, it's going to go through soft either way. Well, but. depending on the level of the the soft armor, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I, mean, I don't want to be shot at by an AK. I no. mean. There was a there in the city recently. There was an incident where um, police officers, I believe, they went to a domestic violence call, and they were shot at with AK with an AK forty seven. The guy ended up surrendering. I'm pretty sure um, it didn't result in any. No one got hurt, thankfully. So, but you know, it me- does happen. Man. The media uses that AK phrase as like a scare phrase instead of saying like, let's just say the news head was like. Police shot at by a man with rifle. Yeah. Not as scary as police shot at man with AK-47. Because you, yeah. like you said, instantly think jihadi, terrorist, bank robber, uh, just, bad guy. It's just, I don't even know. It's like, let me see. Yeah. I was going to put it back yeah, together no, you don't for have you. To. It's all good. <laughs> I, it's just, there's just something about it where it, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but when you hear AK, I think like really, really, really like powerful. Yeah. You know, I think like strength, you know. Right. So when you hear like, oh man, shot out with, you know, rifle, you don't really oh yeah or whatever. Right. When you hear AK, you think like, holy shit, they got shot out with a fucking AK. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just I mean, goes if, into more of the If I you're mean, thinking about a weapon of war mentality. <laughs> this oh yeah, I mean this is a weapon of war, right? And well this you, one in particular isn't, but it was originally designed to be Yeah, I know what you mean. But right. The AK is a weapon of war and in in their eyes, this right here is right. a weapon of war. And all you have to do is change out the fucking the pistol grip, and you're good. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, one of those New weird York, things. Um, yeah, it's listen, man. I I really love the AK, and like I said, most of my collecting of of things is Eastern Bloc militaria. Um, it so it does get into a lot of the um, 
you know, the AK is a part of that. Many, like a lot of the pictures that we shown on the SKS episode, oops, I'm dropping shit here because <laughs> I'm trying to talk and reassemble this at the same time. A lot of the pictures that I had uh, shown featured AKs alongside SKSs in training and combat in, um, uh, you know, political propaganda uh, parlance type things. Um, and like I said, you could go to any country in the world and you could show it to somebody and they'd be like, Kalashnikov, AK. Yeah. They can instantly recognize it. Some In some places in Africa, an AK is cheaper than buying a cow or a chicken. I mean, you know, yeah. it, in some places it's so prolific to where it's just, you know, it's not a big deal. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the pictures of the guy, the, tri the tribesmen in Africa, mm. and they, they have a hut, they have some goats, and they got an AK. And that's like the most modern thing in their society. Yeah. So... I think in New York, honestly, it's a great option, um, but it comes with its limitations because of its original intent design. Right. Um, I think you could be very effective with it in New York, um, and I think from a collecting standpoint, listen, the, the prices on these things aren't getting any cheaper. Um, I remember back in the day, AKs being cheap, and I'm like, eh, you know, I, I'm kicking myself now for not buying them or not buying parts. Not buying, like for example, this stock that's on here, I got on eBay uh, years and years ago from a guy who in Finland who was selling it. He had a bunch of them and they were like 50 bucks a piece at the time. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Now, this stock you can't touch for anything less than like 150 bucks because they're just not available anymore. They're not being imported. Yeah, it's, one of, the those, it's one of those things that you look back on and like we talk about the $99 Mosins all uh, the time, right? I know. But, I know. you know, you can't. I don't know if you can really anticipate that, you know, no, Have, you having can't. having the the foresight to be like, oh well, this is going to be something that's going to be, you know, three four hundred dollars. I don't know if you could really, you know, no. you can't really anticipate no, it. No, you can't. And you know, now at at our older age, there's certain things, you know, that 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 are still low in price, yeah. like those uh, those those imported handguns you were uh, you sent me not too long ago. I think they were like six hundred bucks, six fifty. I might buy a few of those. Three hundred. They no, were. I thought they were like six. Nah, uh, the Chinese uh, Tokarevs. Yeah, I think no, was. no, they weren't six hundred. They were what like three fifty. Yeah, yeah they so like that just. You know, that's one of those things. I might have to pick a couple of those up just because. I mean, that's going to go up in value over they time. Are. Yeah, they are. They so. are. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me and AK, like when we were talking about our um, civil unrest episode, yeah. I, I mentioned that you know, out of the guns that I had at the time, I grabbed my AK to take right. with me, and at the time, pre Safe Act, I could have a. 30-round mag and a thumbhole stock, yeah. or even I, I could have a pistol grip technically on that one at the time because that was its only one feature. Right. So um, I forget what I had on it at the moment. I, I don't remember. But, um, you know, that's the gun I grabbed. And yeah. I had a, you know, 30-round mag. And, you know, having that as it's originally intended to be designed with a pistol grip and a 30-round mag, <sighs> it was it was really just my, my companion at that point. Yeah. <laughs> well, those days have come and gone, my friend, and I know. we're no longer as free as we were in the past, unfortunately. No, and it's just really, I mean, we, we bitch and moan about it all the time on here, but like really does having a spur, does having a lack of pistol grip really make this gun any no, less dangerous as and, a firearm? Of course not, and you yeah. and I and a lot of other people realize that, but they're still going to push it. And it, it is what it is. This is why we always tell everybody, you got to get out, you got to buy guns, you have to vote for people who don't want to eliminate the Second Amendment rights and right. and all that stuff. And your and, Second and, Amendment rights applies to this gun here. It's not yeah. just about your hunting guns. It's not just about your shotguns. Right. It applies to all firearms. Right. And it's very important that we talk to our friends and our family, people who, you know, don't discount somebody from wanting to learn just because they have one opinion. Right. You know, don't say, oh, you know, don't just because a family member says like, oh, like you're, you're into guns, like, oh, blah, 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 blah. We have to ban them. 
understand why they want to ban guns and maybe you might change somebody's mind. You know, I have like changed I've, some minds. Yeah, like in all I, honesty. Like I said in a previous episode, we you know, I've had conversations with people who don't understand that the once you change the pistol grip out that the gun becomes legal and they're looking at me like I'm crazy and they're like, Okay, well I understand you changed the pistol grip, but what but what change that makes it safer? It's like, well, nothing. Exactly. And they start to realize that maybe it's we're bullshit. pushing <laughs> yeah, they uh, they realize maybe we're pushing the wrong laws. So, right. all right, I guess that's it for today, Taylor. I don't know if you have much more to say about the AK. I mean, I have a lot more to say about the AK, but honestly, um, just like I said, it's one of those guns that I think everybody needs. Yeah, people like we talked about on our previous episode of like controversial collecting, where they're like, "Oh, I don't want guns that are that shoot at you know American soldiers or anything." Well. The AK is used all around the world and in many NATO-aligned countries. So, I mean, just because in some countries they are shot against American soldiers doesn't mean that yeah. other countries that we fight alongside, like, I mean, when, when I talk about, like, the break of Yugoslavia, I mean, we were fighting alongside soldiers that had AKs and all these other guns. And, like I said, Finland uses the um, their the, Vemet, the Valmet rifle. And yeah. they're a very <laughs> good country to be friends with. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but... Um, get yourself an AK and you know, if you ever have questions about AKs, reach out. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could talk forever. And like I said, sometimes my brain just goes a mile a minute and I forget about this or I forget about that. But honestly, the big thing with AKs is, um, just to boil it down, make sure it has a good barrel. Mm-hmm. Make sure that it's not like some cobbled together parts gun. Make sure the rivets look okay, that they're pressed uniformly. Make sure the barrel's straight. Make sure that the yeah. sight block is on straight. Make sure that the gun... I mean, the gun's going to operate no matter what, but, um, you know, new guns, you don't have to worry about that as much as you do used guns, but, um, you know, there's very... The the very minute things that can go wrong in making an AK can make it not run if things aren't aligned straight, if the barrel's not pressed in straight, if the receiver's not straight, if the trunnion isn't riveted in straight. I mean, it has to be kind of... Everything has to come together, and then you have the, the godly creation of the Kalashnikov. But again, New York, I think it's a great option, um, even in its non-pistol grip form. And um, like I said, you could have a gun with some cool history to it and, um, you know, be able to go out and shoot it. And some some, some people have the whole thing, like you said, with an AK, but yeah. like terrorist or whatever. But I, I think it's a great gun. Honestly, I, I like the yeah. AK more no, than I the AR-15. Too. I really do. That's like the two in America. That's like the two AR versus Those are AK. the two, yeah. Yeah, but I, I happen to prefer an AK. Um, don't get me wrong. I love my ARs, but... There's just, like you said, something about an AK where it's just like it harkens back to a day of somebody had to design and build this for the necessity of defending yeah. a country. Right. You know, the AR-15 was originally designed as a, not as a military gun, but as a, as yeah. a you know, a sport, not a sporting gun either, but just a normal That's firearm. A, just a civilian gun. Right, just a civilian gun. And then it was adopted into the uh, into service. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> that's all I have to say. All right. Awesome. Um, Taylor, thanks for bringing the uh, the gun over. Cool. That's awesome. I just want to remind everybody, we do have a show every Monday and Friday. Yes. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, like us, follow us. Tell your friends. So, yes. Uh, share it. Um, subscribe to the podcast itself so you guys can get the... Uh, I guess a little push notification that we have a new episode again Monday and Friday. Um, check us out Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Someone said that they had a problem finding us on on Spotify. Yeah, because it's there. on Spotify, it's there's no spaces. NY Gun Guys is all one word. It is on every every right. So some people, I think the guy was putting it in NY. Space. Oh yeah, everything is NY Gun Guys, no spaces. Um, that's how you should search us. You can even Google it. You can find it. NY Gun right. Guys podcast. You'll find us out there. Right. Um, 
So yeah, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I think we're pretty much everywhere you can find yeah, a podcast. If you much. if there's somewhere you that you are looking that you can't find us, let us know. Yeah. We'll we'll try and push the stuff on there, and it shouldn't be a problem. A lot of these like little podcast websites like pick up right. podcasts from everywhere, and then they just throw them in. So right. you know, there's a lot of them. also on our Facebook. I mean, if you like us on our Facebook and you have an AK, share a picture. Um, if you see an AK somewhere, say hey, this gun shop in New York, this location here yeah. has AKs. You know, go get them or just say, uh, you know, just just share. Share what you yep. got. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, definitely. I can talk guns all day. Yeah, you can send us pictures and stuff. We don't have to share who you nah. are, where where you're from. You don't have to be from New York. Right. Um, and that's pretty much it. So, uh, once again, thanks for tuning in and uh, everybody be safe out there. Thanks, John. Thank you very much for tuning in to today's episode of the New York Gun Guys podcast. If you guys enjoyed the show, check out our previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find a podcast. Uh, We have new episodes every Monday and Friday, so check us out. Uh, We're also on Instagram and Facebook at NYGunGuys. Check us out. Give us a like. Give us a follow. Share it. Uh, We really appreciate it. Thank you very much for tuning in, and as always, stay safe.